The information contained in this episode is for informational purposes only. No material is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Indeed, we are going to make it better. Welcome to the Health Hour of Informed Life Radio, brought to you by the Washington Chapter of Children's Health Defense. And um, you, you are the Washington Chapter of Children's Health Defense and the National Chapter of Children's Health Defense. You, the listeners, the donors who generously give every month so that free speech can be on the air, so that uh, free speech can be put down in writing and distributed because we need to make changes. We are making changes. We are making it better. We're figuring out this whole system and it's all thanks to you. So uh, Washington, wa.childrenshealthdefense.org. That's the website of the Washington chapter of Children's Health Defense. And we hope you will consider giving to keep this show and all the good work of Children's Health Defense going. We really need you. Um, so I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. You guys are kind of used to me, my rambling style and all. And unfortunately, my my co-hosts were both indisposed, one traveling, one working late. And so you, you got me by myself. But I got a couple of great guests um, coming on in, in the health hour uh, and then again in the liberty hour. I want to remind you all that we've got this new format going on where we have a distinct health hour and then followed by the Liberty Hour. And week to week, sometimes that Liberty Hour will not be streamed to CHDTV because sometimes it's state-focused or or other reasons why it might not always be streaming to CHDTV. Um, and that's one of, this week is one of those. So I just wanted to let you know, and I'll remind you at the end of the hour, that um, when this show ends, just head on over to Twitter to um, the Informed Choice Washington's Twitter page. That's at Informed WA is the Twitter handle, at Informed WA, where the Liberty Hour will be streaming live. And you can always catch us, um, catch the show. We post it on informedchoicewa.org and link to it on our Substack page and and things like that. We're eventually probably going to get get it up in other areas as well. Um, I'll remind you again of that at the end of the hour. Um, so this hour, though, I'm very excited to bring on a very dear man. Um, his name is Paul Merrick, MD. He's a pulmonary and critical care specialist. He's the chairman and chief scientific officer of the FLCCC. And before COVID, he was best known for the protocol he developed for sepsis. Before he developed this protocol that contains IV vitamin C, um, sepsis was much more fatal. And thanks to him, so many countless lives have been saved. But since COVID, Dr. Paul Merrick has emerged as a true national and international hero. He's one of those rare few, um, but growing number that are demonstrating moral courage to really stand up against this insidious evil narrative that's been pushed out through public health agencies and the medical industry 
And he stood up to save lives at personal sacrifice to his, himself and his own career. But one of the things that I, that has emerged with, with uh, Dr. Paul uh, Merrick is he's an amazing man that can learn. And what he has learned through this whole COVID experience has transformed in so many different ways. He now talks about cancer, uh, reversing cancer, healing cancer um, through things that he has learned and diabetes. And that's why we have um, Dr. Paul Merrick on today is to talk about his personal journey his own journey of reversing his diabetes. So welcome to Inform Life Radio, Dr. Paul Merrick. Thank you, Bernadette. And uh, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. You're such, oh. a, you're such a dear friend. Oh, well, thank you. I feel the same way. The thing about this movement, if I may call you Paul here with no disrespect, um, is that when you meet people on this journey, it's so much more than aligned in what the science that you follow or, you know, the way you treat health, because it has come, come down to like really good and evil in so many ways. Um, and it's about saving our children, saving our parents, um, saving ourselves, saving this nation, that the people we align with become family, you know, and I tell you, I've never hugged so many people and said, I love you after just briefly meeting them. But it and it's a genuine feeling, right, that this community that has formed and that is growing. And I'm I feel very blessed to have you in my community. Yes, so. you're absolutely right. It's it's a family of like minded people and we hug and we embrace people that we meet for the first time just because we we are the same. We are family and we, we stick together. Yes. And, um, we're, going, we, we're going to succeed because we're going to stick together as a family. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, your family isn't always those, you know, of blood or, or, or marriage at times. There's been some realignments. Um, and we've had to make some adjustments in our lives on this journey. But I feel so enriched what I have, I've lost some, but I've gained so much more. And this Thanksgiving, um, I've got an awful lot to be thankful for. So, you know, if you wouldn't mind, I'd kind of like to lead listeners through your journey to where you are now, because, um, you know, you became a doctor. So let's back up a bit. You were a little boy in South Africa, having various experiences with illness and disease and and medicine, and something pulled you into healthcare. So talk about a little bit about your childhood and how it led you into medicine. Yeah, um, it's an interesting question. I always assumed I would be a physician. Um, I don't know. I just felt attracted to the, the specialty of helping people and curing medicine, and the science fascinated me. So um, it was it, it was my calling. Um, um, the training I received was 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 somewhat unique in that it was uh, unlike the American system where currently students are spoon fed. We were taught to think and we were taught to be independent thinkers. And I think that's largely what shaped my career is that we were taught medicine at the bedside because that's where the patients are. And we were taught, you know, independent thinking and um, critical thinking, 
which unfortunately is something which which is very lacking in this in our educational system in the US. It, exactly. I let, I hope that we will reverse that. There are many people their their lane in all of this is examining the educational systems and what's going wrong. So let's hopefully we can reverse that. Um, so you always knew you wanted to be a doctor and you went to medical school, medical school, you were trained to be a critical thinker and you emerged to be, a, you know, also with the word critical, a critical care physician. And you were multi-published. Um, you always were very curious, it seems to me, in your medical career. And then when you discovered things you wanted to share and you shared them with your colleagues through published papers, and there was a lot of sharing between colleagues, what worked for you, what didn't, that was very well respected for a very long until COVID, basically. <laughs> and, um, and, and so then what happened? What, what changed? Yeah, so I think COVID shone a light onto something that was there all the time, but we never really saw it. Mm. Um, medicine was controlled. Medicine was corrupted. Medicine was, there was a hidden agenda. Um, medicine was driven by big pharma, um, but it was more insidious and it was less obvious. Yes. Uh, it, it seemed that we truly did have independent thought process and could, you know, independently make independent judgments and treatments and that we, we, we um, had an open mind. But I don't think we realized to what extent we were being indoctrinated by the system. Yes. And there's no question of doubt that COVID has brought that to the fore, you know, the, the, the way we were controlled. So even though I, I myself thought I was an independent thinker, um, we were controlled. You know, the medical journals were controlled. The medical curriculum is controlled. Um, the The... Protocols are controlled. We were basically um, following um, protocols that were in industry and farmers' best interests, and didn't wasn't always the true science. And probably the most disturbing to me was the corruption of the medical journals and the corruption of the science. Mm -hmm. I used to read the medical journals and used to believe what I read as being the truth. But I've subsequently, or we've subsequently discovered the corruption in the um, medical system is, is so pervasive that mm -hmm. the journals are controlled by big pharma. Most of the publications are fraudulent and false um, always in the in the favor of big pharma. So mm -hmm. big pharma and the industrial complex really controls the agenda, and that became clear with COVID. Absolutely, and and a recent example I stumbled across because I was investigating vitamin D, and I watched the FLCCC's weekly. Uh, 
uh, meeting that happened two weeks ago where you were focused on vitamin D. For those listening, if you do not already tune in every Wednesday to the FLCCC's weekly call, it, you can join via Zoom or they stream to Rumble. Go sign up. It's free. It's amazing who they bring on and the topics that they cover. But that was on vitamin D. And I've been doing a lot of, you know, finding all kinds of information on vitamin D. And I came across this study in uh, 2022. And it was the reporting of these studies called the vital studies. Are you familiar with those? And they concluded there was a BMJ article talking about these wonderful studies that we finally have the results from. And the authors of these, <laughs> these studies says, okay, we've got evidence that vitamin D does no good for your health, basically is what they said. Um, doctors need to stop testing vitamin D levels. They need to stop recommending vitamin D and patients need to just stop taking it. It was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard. And there it is published in the BMJ. But I digress. I want to make sure we mainly uh, focus on positive news. So you were already open prior to COVID to nutraceuticals, to vitamin C, to the fact that nature provides some things that, you know, are not patented drugs and, and thus your sepsis Um protocol included vitamin C and thiamine, and then it was a steroid. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, and I've got to tell you, um, I'd been following you for a little while, even before COVID, and I did have a, a loved one in the hospital who ended up with sepsis. And I remembered what you had done, and I went to them, and they knew about your protocol, but they weren't doing the vitamin C portion. They said, we heard it doesn't help. And I asked them to add it in back in, and they did. Um, sadly, it was too late, you know, for our loved one, but um, you've been in my heart a while. <laughs> but then then during COVID, you witnessed that um, all sorts of things were being shot down, like ivermectin um, was being shot down and other things. And you begin to discover things um, for your protocol to help the vaccine injured and people with long COVID, including intermittent fasting. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's part of a, a bigger picture is that um, most of medicine is based on treating symptoms, not on treating disease. And to a large degree, most of the diseases that Western people suffer from are lifestyle, from a bad lifestyle. You know, mm -hmm. we can talk about diabetes, hypertension, cardiac disease, Alzheimer's disease. Um, these are all diseases of bad lifestyle. And um, the medications that are prescribed don't treat the disease. They mm -hmm. treat the symptoms. And so it became clear that there's a fundamental problem with the way we approach health. You know, we, we, don't, we don't promote health we treat disease and we treat symptoms, whereas we should be really be treating lifestyle, those mm -hmm. factors that can improve a person's health. And it's not a it's not complicated. Um, you know, we live in this world that we live in. Most people have a very unhealthy lifestyle, and probably the most important is the food we eat or it's not really food. Um, 
the stuff that we think is food. Mm -hmm. And so um, in order to improve the health of the nation and to improve people's health, one has to make some fundamental lifestyle changes to improve one's health. Mm -hmm. Um, And diet is probably the most important. We, We literally are what we eat. Um, I once was in a conversation online with some uh, pro pharma folks, and they said that it's a myth that we are what we eat. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? But yes, yes. Let medicine, <laughs> let food be your medicine. Yes. Um, yes. Um, obviously, that's not in farmers' best interests because, mm-hmm. um, you know, because if they were to cure diabetes the way I did, just by diet, you know, it would make a, it it would not be economically in their best interest. So they, they do not want people to be healthy. Yeah. So did you, um, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Did you start adopting new lifestyle um, as you were learning through your COVID research about fasting and all that, and then the diabetes began to get better, or did you intentionally decide, I'm going to self-treat through diet? Yes, it kind of happened simultaneously as I was reading and as I was figuring out COVID and what was happening, I realized mm-hmm. how important diet was. And I thought, well, you know what, I, got to need, I need to change my diet. And so it was through the process of COVID that it pushed me in this direction. Mm -hmm. And then I changed my diet pretty dramatically. And um, with that, I cured my diabetes. So um, tell us exactly what those changes were. How were you eating before? And then what did you switch to? And did you just go cold turkey to this switch? So most, what I'm going to say, most people will find a little bit astonishing is 80% of Americans are are, uh, processed food addicts. They are addicted to processed food. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was a processed food addict. I would eat processed food. I would snack. I would come home and snack. I'd sit in front of the TV and snack. And um, that's, that's terribly unhealthy. Mm-hmm. terribly unhealthy. That's not the way the body was designed. Mm-hmm. So basically it involves two simple things. The first is eating real food rather than processed food. And most of what Americans eat is processed foods. You know, it, it comes in a bag or it comes in a box and it's got um, a whole list of chemicals and foreign ingredients and mm-hmm. it doesn't look like food. So if it looks like food, it's food. <laughs> Quite simple. Yeah. You know, if, if, if it looks like something that's not food, it's not food. You know, um, Dr. Paul, years ago, when my son was little, we visited a museum um, in Seattle, and they had on display how people around the world ate. 
and they would have like like a part of Africa and it was this table and overflowed and there were bags of rice, canvas bags of rice and beans and and produce and, you know, meats. It was just beautiful. And all these other nations you saw had and then you saw America's table. And it was boxes of Cheerios, bags from McDonald's. I mean, it was just atrocious. There was almost no real food on the table. It was all processed. And when you saw it side by side with real food, and like the poor nations were eating better than anybody, which was just completely upside down. Yeah. Yeah. So so the, the, the first rule, I think, or the first obvious approach is to eat real food and it's not difficult to distinguish what's real food and what's not real food so when i have a meal you know i have a protein which could be you know fish or chicken sometimes meat and vegetables that's what mm -hmm. i eat that's Good. my meal <laughs> and i love it and it's real food mm-hmm it, it's real food. And then um, I think I heard you said you, you chose to like, are you just having one main meal a day or only one meal and a then, day? And then what I do is I do time-restricted feeding. So I, I eat once a day. I've managed to get down to once a day, which is a little bit extreme, but I can do it. And so, for example, I had my lunch dinner at 2 this afternoon. Mm-hmm. It's now whatever, 6.30. I'm not hungry because it's a natural way of eating. You know, mm -hmm. we weren't designed to eat all the time. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that the more you snack, the more you spike your sugar, the sugar then activates your appetite and it becomes a vicious circle. And you you become addicted to you literally become addicted to sugar. Sugar mm -hmm. and fructose is more addictive than cocaine, hmm. uh, acting on the centers in the brain. Hmm. So it's a truly astonishing thing that you can actually eat one meal a day and feel completely satisfied and not hungry. Yeah, and it's I think it is important when people start out to. Um, realize, I mean, you can slowly over time narrow your eating window and then find the balance that works well for you. I tend to eat between, say, noon and eight and um, will have a small meal to break my fast breakfast, but it's more about noonish or so. And I do tend to eat like I usually have organic eggs and, and toast or something like that for my, my breakfast. And then I'll have uh, dinner later on. Um, and it's not every day of the week, but it's most days of the week. And I feel so much better when I'm doing that. It's just amazing. Um, so, so, yeah, and so I'm trying I, to I, would, I would agree with that. I, I think what people need to do is have a eating window. So they eat within a particular window. Now the window can be two hours or eight hours. So you have a window <laughs> during which time you eat, and then you have a window during which time you fast, and in the fasting okay. phase, you can drink, you can drink fluids, but you don't eat. And your body adapts quite remarkably to this. And in fact, this is the way we were designed. Yes. Humans weren't designed to eat all the time, to snack all the time, which is a very unhealthy eating habit. And, and when you say drink, though, you don't want to 
consume liquids that have carbohydrates in there. You can have like black coffee, black tea, herbal tea, water, yes. um, things like that. You don't want anything that's got fats or sugars um, so in the there. And no artificial sweeteners. Sweetened sugars are probably sweetened drinks are probably the worst things that you can eat. Um, mm -hmm. They actually have been associated with cancer. They cause diabetes. They cause insulin resistance. So mm -hmm. sweetened drinks are to be avoided, as are fruit juices. Uh, mm -hmm. Fruit juices are in the same category. So, you know, drinking water is fine. Um, coffee and tea is fine. Green tea is fine. Um, so it's it's eating a more natural uh lifestyle mm -hmm. and then so you when you're in this period of fasting that humans really need to be in on a regular basis uh what i have learned is your body figures out that no more calories are coming in so it kind of goes on maintenance mode and it begins to heal you you have all these hours of apoptosis. Your body goes around looking for, for fragmented cells or maybe even precancerous cells or whatever. It begins to repair you as it's supposed to do. But if you never enter in that, it's like, I think it's like hour 12 to 14 that you have to get to and a little bit beyond for your body to get into that, that maintenance stage that so many people never reach. They never get there because they never go more than eight hours um, yeah. without food. Yeah, yeah. It's very, it's very healing. It's very, it restores the body's health and vitality. And so what you want to do is you say, is you want to skip breakfast because it doesn't make sense to wake up and eat breakfast. And then mm -hmm. you don't want to eat three or four hours before going to bed. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then you can adjust, the eating window to your particular lifestyle. You know, it's that's what makes it so flexible. It's not a diet. Mm -hmm. It's important to recognize diets don't work. They're temporary, and in the end, people don't lose weight. So this is a lifestyle change. It needs to become a habit. It becomes a lifestyle, and it, it, it it's flexible. You know, you mm -hmm. you. You, you adjust it day by day according to your schedule and your family schedule. And there are some some other some important other rules, like eat if you're going to eat, eat at the table with the family. You know, mm -hmm. don't don't sit in front of the TV and eat. Don't eat in the car. You know, don't don't eat in the bedroom. You know, mm -hmm. should there's certain things that that one should follow and it should be a social event. So you sit at the, the dining room table and eat together as a family uh, and eat real food together. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I have to say our, our, our family, one of our favorite things to do is to eat dinner, but it is in front of a TV watching a program we all love and we're laughing and enjoying and eating together. So we, we do a little bit modern version of the, but it works for us, right? So there yeah. we go. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, as long as you're not sitting in front of the TV snacking, you know, for hours. Mindlessly, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and so, so really the secret to your reversing diabetes, not a secret, um, is eating real food in a constricted time. And, it, and so besides feeding your body healthy food to make healthy new cells, 
um, because every cell in our body eventually gets replaced and every cell has a different time span when it gets replaced. But it's, it, it, to me, I'm thinking, would you agree that it, it also was giving this restricted window helped your pancreas heal. It helped it function more properly. It helped, you know, your insulin levels regulate and all the things that were, were going a little goofy restored itself. Is that fair to say in yeah. layman's lingo? <laughs> Yeah, it restores normal pancreatic function. It, it, the, the problem with diabetes is insulin resistance, which is high glucose and high insulin because the insulin is not working. Mm-hmm. And um, intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding improves insulin resistance. It's the most effective method of improving insulin resistance. Uh, at the same time, you obviously you lose weight, you, you lose, um, you know, adipose tissue around your belly, which, and which is very, which is highly associated with insulin resistance. So, so you lose weight, um, Mm -hmm. and it improves your blood glucose profile. It's so simple, isn't it? It, It's just, it's marvelously simple and it's not only economical, I mean, it's downright money saving when you think about it, because you don't have to pay for any drugs or doctor visits, and you're not buying all those expensive junk, all that expensive junk food, pre-processed food. Um, you're just investing in in really healthy, real food that you eat in this narrow window. And I can see why the pharmaceutical industry and the medical industry hates it. But it has one thing that people find the hardest. And it's something that COVID has taught all of us, we have to get back to culturally as a society. And that's personal responsibility and self-discipline. You know, um, for too long, we've been, it's been promoted at us that you got this symptom, just take a pill. You don't have to change anything. It's not your fault. It's your genes. It's your genes giving you diabetes. Did your mother have this? Did your father have that? And, you know, I mean, they completely ignore in their commercials epigenetics that, yeah, you might have a genetics um, uh, tendency towards something, but that's only if the right environmental factors are there to, you know, trip that. You can avoid that through lifestyle. And uh, so at what point, once you started changing your diet and const- uh, constricting the window, did you realize that how you, you were even using your prescription meds needed to change? Yeah, so you, you're absolutely right, is that we've been led to believe that diabetes is a progressive disease and that the only way to treat it is with drugs which decrease blood glucose. And obviously, mm-hmm. that's the mantra that Big Pharma wants to propagate because that's how they make money. Um, but, but I discovered that as you go down this path, your blood glucose comes down, and therefore you can wean yourself off these anti-diabetic medications, which is mm-hmm. what I did. Yeah, I imagine you have to really monitor um, your levels carefully when you're making these changes to make sure you, you know, don't give yourself too much or too little. Um, Right. Yeah. So and I guess we would advise people to do that. Um, Inform your doctor what you're doing. Right. (laughs) 
And make sure you get a good doctor. You got any advice for listeners on how to interview a doctor to make sure they find one who's aligned with their approach to health and wellness and, and one who has discovered this whole pharmaceutical yeah, I think, capture? I think it's simple. I think you ask your doctor a few basic questions. You ask your doctor about, you know, tell me about what you think about diet and diabetes and tell me you know, what foods diabetes, you know, cause diabetes and what are healthy foods and what's a healthy lifestyle. And if he or she doesn't want to talk about this topic, then I would find another doctor. Yeah. So you, you want to find a, a physician who will engage in, in a discussion on lifestyle changes to improve health. Excellent. Yeah, I always tell uh, listeners that you want to interview a doctor like you're you're interviewing a spouse, that you're taking on a lifetime partner <laughs> to help guide you and be your partner on all this, and and they have to uh, they have to match your uh, requirements, not the other way around. If they're judging you and and saying if you don't do this, you're not coming to my clinic. You don't want them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a part. It should be a partnership. Yeah, the, the physician and the patient should work together, rather than the physician dictating to the patient what to do. And then, obviously, as you said, the patients need to take ownership. You yeah. know, I think patients need to be empowered. They need mm-hmm. to realize that they they are in control of their health, and they yeah. are the only ones that can determine the path that they take. Um, mm-hmm. And so it is a pa- partnership with the physician guiding the patient along the way. Yeah, exactly. And then that self-discipline to do what needs done. And I, I, I do understand that changing your food, if food can be an addiction. And, and if you grew up in a household where you're used to all this food and flavors and everything, I do understand how difficult it can be to make those changes, but you, I guess individuals have to weigh what's more important, keeping this bond with something that I know or actually being healthy and <laughs> improving yeah, and your you life. Can really, you can do it slowly over time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you can adapt it to your particular lifestyle. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to, you can just throw out all the junk food and, you know, go cold turkey um, mm-hmm. uh, with real food, or you can slowly eliminate, you know, the worst offenders and, mm-hmm. you know, evolve towards a healthy diet. And it's what you do most of the time that's important. So, you know, if you cheat mm-hmm. now and then, I think that's okay. But you really want to concentrate on eating real food. You do go through a sort of uh, almost like a withdrawal when you begin to get away from sugars and processed foods, because you're at first you're when you start that you you're not really aware of how the food affects you. But the more you get away from them and then you'll try something again and you'll like get brain fog or your hands swell or something. And you're like, I didn't realize that it had that effect on me because they were living in that constant state before. And so, and then the more you get away from it, um, the more empowered you feel, but you just give yourself that tell, give yourself a mental window to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to muscle through because when I get to the other side, it's really amazing when you get there and then you stop craving those foods. And when you do eat them, you don't feel well. So that is more incentive not 
not to eat that way. You just have to make sure you power through to the, to the good side. So um, on this journey that you were on and that you continue to be on of improving your health, have you found for yourself that there are any supplements that you like to take herbs or, or nutraceuticals or anything? Um, what do you think? Yes. So that's a good question. In, in particular, in terms of diabetes, I take something called berberine. 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 berberine is an ancient Chinese herb that has potent anti-diabetic properties. It acts via multiple different pathways to improve glucose control. It's a natural, it's a natural, you know, nature seems to give all the medications it needs to cure all the diseases on this planet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and berberine yeah. is one of them. And so unlike, you know, the expensive GLP-1 agonist, which costs like $1,000 a month. You know, you, yes, that's what, <laughs> yes. That's what big, that's what big I th- I'm, I'm actually, I'm so shocked at that number, you know. Um, so how many millions of Americans are type 2 di- diabetics paying $1,000 a month? That is astounding. Yes. And so you can buy berberine from, you know, your over-the-counter, $10, $15. You can adopt a healthy diet. And the the economic savings to the patient and the country are enormous. And then obviously you avoid all the complications of diabetes, which are extremely expensive. So, mm-hmm. you know, from a, a public health perspective, there would appear to be no other way of doing this. You, 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 you curing the disease, you help, you, you improving the health of the nation. Indeed, I, I, my, our goal will be someday public health entities standing up in, at podiums and telling people this. <laughs> Telling people the hard fact instead of wait for the pill, wait for the injection. No, you take care of yourself now. You got this. Mother Nature has this. God has this. However you want to describe it. I mean, where does the pharmaceutical industry to get new drugs? They go to the jungle. They go to the earth. Ivermectin is a wonderful uh, semi-natural product. It's from fermented soil bacteria. It's, you know, and that's why it's so fabulous as it's fairly close to something that nature, um, and they didn't monkey with it as much as so many other um, pharmaceuticals out there. And I do want to advise people to really research um, high quality brands of vitamins and herbs and that sort of thing, because there are a lot of products on the market that, you know, different consumer protection groups have tested that what's in the bottle isn't what's on the label. So do make Mm -hmm. sure. And I know sometimes you could just like, if you have a really good naturopath, you can go to the professional lines um, of of some of these products. If you want to take that, that extra step and, and just look for quality insurance and third party um, testing of the product. So many of these nutraceuticals are quite inexpensive. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are a few that I think, are important. You know, you don't want to get to, obviously there are potentially, you know, hundreds of different 
vitamins and nutraceuticals that people can take, which becomes, Mm -hmm. you know, very expensive and somewhat, you know, redundant. But there are a few that are important. So if you are a diabetic, berberine is important. Um, I would recommend that all people take vitamin D. Mm. There's no question of doubt that Mm -hmm. vitamin D, it's essential that all human beings take vitamin D. I think it's as simple as that. Yeah. I mean, you know, unless you're getting optimal sunshine and then eating um, the foods that nature gives us that are rich in vitamin D, which are a lot of your like raw organ meat that nobody eats anymore or cod liver oil. Now, when I was little, our mom used to give us cod liver oil. And and back then they didn't flavor it. They didn't descent it or whatever they do now. It was atrocious, but it must've done something good for our health because I'm still around and kicking here. (laughs) So um, yeah. So supplementation then, and then I guess there's some mushrooms that are rich in vitamin D and um, we just don't tend to eat those those yeah, foods, and we do a lot of things. Yeah, it's difficult to get a, a, an adequate intake of vitamin D just in the diet. And yeah. in terms of sunshine, you have to spend, you know, you you have to be outdoors at least 30 minutes, and, it, you know, it's obviously seasonal. It depends where you live. Yeah. So many people just don't get uh, enough sunshine exposure. Mm-hmm. And you, I think it was um, the FLCCC weekly Zoom call one week where you had somebody on that was explaining that the um, levels, uh, the vitamin D supplementation you need is very individual. And a lot of it depends on your weight. I believe they said, like, if you were morbidly obese, you need like 10 times more than somebody who is at their optimal weight. And so you really will want to find somebody who knows the science behind vitamin D supplementation to um, make sure you're getting what you need. Um, yeah, it's, it's yeah. that important. I mean, ideally, ideally, you would want to have your vitamin D level measured by your primary care doctor. It's a simple test to do. And you mm-hmm. want to make sure that you have an adequate vitamin D level. Um, mm-hmm. Because if your levels are already low, below 20, you know, you could take three or four years of supplementation until it normalizes. So yeah. you may need to boost your vitamin D levels. So it's right. a very simple test to do just to figure out what, you know, how much vitamin D you need to get, you need to take to get adequate levels. And then I've heard it's best to take the formulations that include K2 or to take K2 with it. I yes. don't remember why, but I remember that was important. Yeah. And what else would you recommend besides D? Yes. Yeah, so I think vitamin D is important together with vitamin K2. If you're over the age of 40, I would probably take melatonin at night. Mm. Um. I've heard amazing things about melatonin. Now, I haven't read your book on cancer yet, but is melatonin one of the supplements that you recommend for cancer? Yeah. So the the pineal glands really after the age of 40 stops making melatonin. So your levels decline quite rapidly. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's not only for sleep. It's a very good antioxidant. But it, it has, you know, it improves mitochondrial function. It reduces the risk of cancer. It prolongs health span. 
So, you know, I think melatonin is, is, would be number two. And the okay. third one would be maybe fish oil. Mm. So, you know, you, you don't want to start, you, you don't want to be in a situation where you're taking 20 to 30 supplements, but, yeah. you know, vitamin D, melatonin, and fish oil, I, I think would be the top of my list. Yeah. Um, what do you think about sardines as a source of, of fish oil? My yeah. mama loved them, but I hate sardines. <laughs> so I can't do that route. But you know, I mean, if, if you're going to pack food away for emergencies, I think I could force myself to eat them. You know, having having some cans of sardine there <laughs> would probably help you survive just about anything for a few weeks if you've got those with the good oil and the protein and that sort of thing. A lot of people in Japan, I remember, were living on sardines when they had that nuclear um, accident and everything was closed down. They couldn't get food. Um, yeah, and then we should add, we shouldn't forget exercise. You know, exercise oh. is really important. Probably the best form of exercise is, is to go walking. You know, yeah. so in summer, go for a walk, walk outdoors. It's, you know, it's the, the health benefits are enormous. And then sleep. So we're talking about the basics, you know. Yes. Eating, sleeping, and walking. <laughs> and how about that? You know, you give your body the right nutrients, exercise and sleep, and lo and behold, your body can fix itself. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So um, we've got a little bit more time here. Um, could you um, dip a little bit into what you've been learning about cancer, which we've touched on just a bit. Um, it's all seems related. Yeah. So it's, so obviously it's a complicated subject. Um, yes. Cancer will become the commonest cause of death. You know, one in two men and one in three women will develop cancer um, to, to a large extent, um, it's, pre it's a preventable disease. Um, you know, obesity, insulin resistance, vitamin D deficiency, smoking, exposure to pollutants are common causes of, of cancer. So mm -hmm. it, it is, to, to a large extent, a preventable disease. Exactly. And, and on this show, you're, it's a free speech show. We can also include the new mRNA COVID injections and any of the spike protein injections, which appear to, they don't appear, the evidence is very strong showing that they do suppress the immune system so that anything your body was keeping in check can potentially now just yes. explode. So, yes, there's a very strong association between these um, genetic therapies and cancer. So mm -hmm. the first thing I would say is that cancer is, a, is largely preventable. The idea that it's a genetic disease is, is not true. Only about 5% of cancers are really genetic. And that insulin resistance and obesity is probably the, one of the most important causes of cancer as well as mm. vitamin D deficiency. So we've covered, mm -hmm. we've already covered obesity and insulin resistance and vitamin D deficiency. 
there's a very strong correlation between vitamin D deficiency and cancer. Mm-hmm. Now, I've been also researching iodine, and I know the FLCCC looked at that a bit for um, gargling, nasal flushes, um, povidone iodine uh, solutions and such. But I'm finding that in so many body processes, iodine is so essential. Are you seeing that as well? Yes. Yes. Yeah. One of the things I, I, I learned, and I'm going to repeat it a couple of times, I apologize to listeners, but I want this to be household. No, you know, the sky is blue. Iodine is important. And the, the one little fact that I have read, and I want to do a deep dive and see if I can find, you know, actual studies showing this. I just found a really good article that was describing it. But after your thyroid um, has taken up what it needs, it your body pushes iodine out into other areas of the body. And one place it pushes it to is the mucus. So if you have optimal iodine levels, it seems to me that you would always have a little bit of iodine in your mucus. And so you're always to some degree protected with something that can kill a a virus in 15 seconds or inactivate a virus. How do you want to describe that? have you seen any research or information on iodine in the mucus naturally? That's what you're saying is true. Yes, that is correct. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> it's like, you know, in so much about our modern lives, we have removed our ability to fight diseases ourselves. It's just, you know, and just going back to the basics, um, to a good diet, making sure it's including, including, all of these essential and trace minerals and nutrients that we need, our bodies do amazing things with them on their own. So it goes, it goes back to eating real food, you know, Again, yeah. fruits and vegetables that have minerals, uh, iodine, magnesium, mm-hmm. you know, all the essential trace elements that we need, which yeah. are completely depleted in the synthetic foods that we eat. So I think it's just about, you know, the, 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 the clues to long health are uh, eating, e- eating real food, time-related eating, exercise, sleep, relaxation. I think those are the, those are the, the clues to a healthy lifestyle. And one should try and avoid uh, excessive amounts of pharmaceutical products because these suppress symptoms, they don't treat disease. And so it's getting back to basics, developing a more natural lifestyle. Uh, exactly. I heard the tail end of that. I love that. We don't want to do the the cover-ups, the band-aids that mask the symptoms. We want to get back to basics and do true, true healing. So I'm hoping everybody's hearing me and I'm back in sync or whatever was messing up. Um, we're going to be leaving uh, uh, wonderful Dr. Paul Merrick in just a few minutes. And I want to remind listeners that we got one minute that to hear the Liberty Hour, and we're going to have Murray Sabrin, PhD, talking about misaligned incentives, um, how to change the incentives that lead to sick care, realign them to incentivize health care. It's a subject that you might really like there. Um, 
um, Dr. Paul Merrick. Um, you have to tune in to X, otherwise known as Twitter, at Informed Wah, at Informed Wah is where we'll be next. So, um, Dr. Paul, thank you for joining us on the Health Hour of Informed Life Radio. It's so awesome to have you here, sir. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Bernadette. Thank you, and happy Thanksgiving. And you too, hey. Yeah. All right. You've been listening to the Health Hour on Inform Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. Jump on over to at Informed Wah on a Twitter, otherwise known as X, to hear our Liberty Hour. Bye-bye. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Children's Health Defense is a nonprofit organization with a mission to end childhood health epidemics by working aggressively to eliminate harmful exposures, hold those responsible, accountable, and establish safeguards to prevent future harm. The Washington chapter of Children's Health Defense is stepping up at the state and local levels, but we can't do this without you. Join us at wa.childrenshealthdefense.org. Let's restore and defend children's health and their futures in Washington State. The information contained in this episode is for informational purposes only. No material is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.